short time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima. All right, don't have time for no. that. Um, welcome back, Cold War '84. Oh, it rhymed. <sighs> Open a Cold War '84. In our last episode, uh, for those of you who uh, don't remember, we 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 we're getting into the decision to drop the bombs and. Uh, and and as we kind of explained um, in infuriating detail last time, <laughs> the unconditional surrender thing, everyone, everyone <laughs> knew it was a problem for the Japanese. And for months and months and months before Hiroshima, uh, American leaders, Stalin, British leaders were saying, you know what, we should probably change that and, and we could probably end the war very, very quickly. <laughs> everyone, including Truman, was like, yeah, that's that's yeah. probably a good idea. Let's just do that. But then... A couple of guys said, well, we can't. Yeah, you're right. We should do that, but we can't for certain military reasons. Yeah, wink, wink. Now, now, why they couldn't do that? Like, okay, okay, yes, we've got a bomb, but why Why can't we get them to surrender anyway? It doesn't make a lot of sense, right? Unless the implication is, yes, we could bring about a quick surrender, but we don't want to because we've got this thing and we want to use it. Yeah, somebody wants to. I mean, it's, I mean, I'm sitting here trying to argue with you, and it is the only logical conclusion. Well, if we do this and it brings about peace, we can't use our nice new toy. And it, it just stops right there. I mean, I, I can't think of it. I can't think of a different or an alternative route to go. If we if we have peace now, what do we do with the bomb? We've just got egg on our face, atomic egg on our face. And and you know we spent two billion dollars right. for for nothing right. maybe, although that's not true either. I mean, um, there's still plenty of things that could have been done with it. Um, but yeah, we'll get to if, that. If I could bring up two points real quick: one, back in the beginning of 1945, when the Japanese were sending out peace feelers, don't get me wrong, their their position back then was completely unacceptable. You know, they're they're telling people to tell the Americans, "We will decide who who goes to trial. We will we will dis, dismantle and disarm our own armed forces. We'll take care of all that stuff." There's to be a limited number of uh, American troops on the home islands. Obviously, that's unacceptable. But by the time you get to June and May, late May, that kind of stuff. Like you said in the last episode, their attitude has completely changed. Look, we will take the harshest fucking terms you can possibly come up with as long as you give us the emperor. As long as you clarify that, we will put up with anything. So so that's the other thing. Um, And again, these people were just desperate at this point and but for whatever reason, at the very, very tip top of the American government, nothing is changing. Now, by June 18th, events had progressed to the point where Admiral Leahy was able to note in his personal diary, it is my opinion that at the present time, a surrender of Japan can be arranged with terms that can be accepted by Japan and that will make fully satisfactory provision for America's defence against any future trans-Pacific aggression. Nice. Over. It's done. This is nearly two months before... Hiroshima, right. six weeks, say, before Hiroshima. Right. But also on June 18th, Gru spoke to Truman again about brokering peace with the Japanese. This is, how many times has he done this? Uh, yeah. Well, that was the other part. You know, <laughs> once Gru got back and he was made acting Secretary of State, he was then told about the bomb. And this man, like you said earlier, lived in Japan for 10 years. He is fighting tooth and nail, coming up with every argument he could possibly come up with to end this war because he know he knows what's coming down the pike. Down the pike? Pipe. What's down the pike? I don't know. Is pipe? it pike? Pike. He, he knows what's coming. He knows what's coming. What's a, he, a pike's a fish. What's coming I, down the fish? Have you got no, I you think, know more I about fish than me, apparently? I, pipe. I apologize. I think it's pipe. Um, shit's coming down the pipe. But the point is, he, he has an affinity for the Japanese. He's been there for 10 years. He now knows about the atomic bomb. He knows the situation. He's been corresponding with FDR and everybody else for years. He knows what's coming. He's trying to come up with anything to stop the inevitable. By the way, did you know that Joseph Grew was interned for nine months by the Japanese government? It, was that like at the, be, at the beginning of the war? In, 
Pearl Harbor, it sounds familiar. Yeah. He was the American ambassador in Tokyo at the time of the mm-hmm. Pearl Harbor attack. Shit. And uh, they, they threw him in prison, basically, for nine months. Um, he was returned to the US in July 1942. Wow. Um, I mean, I think it was... It was he was looked after. Yeah, yeah. Obviously. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, they, they held on to him as a prisoner. Don't often hear that happening with uh, ambassadors. Right. It's kind of not nice. Anyway, so um, here's, so grew 80. So late May, he went and spoke to Truman and said, you know, I think we can negotiate a peace. Truman was like, yeah, that makes sense. Go talk to everybody. Went to talk to everybody. Everyone said, yeah, it makes sense. We could probably do that, but can't right now. Certain military reasons. <laughs> June 18th, he went to speak to Truman again. This time, Truman shut him down. Mm. He said, I want to I want to hold it off until the Potsdam conference. Yeah, yeah. Now, as we know, because we've talked about it before, he was putting the Potsdam conference off to coincide with the Trinity test, much to the chagrin of everybody. Yeah. Churchill... Freaked out. <laughs> Churchill was, yeah, <laughs> Churchill was furious. I remember... Uh, Churchill was writing uh, letters to or telegrams, whatever, emails, text messages to Truman in like May, I think, saying, um, you know, I think we should have this meeting in June. Note that that's the month before July, um, not in July, which is the month after June. It's very confusing. Just to be clear. There's two J's. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I know you guys write your dates back to front and all that kind of stuff, so I just want to be clear that I'm saying, let's do it now, motherfucker. He sent like and Truman was like, well, nah, messages nah, or so. something, right? Urging him to see no. come to uh, Germany earlier. I mean, it was insane. Ch- like you said, Churchill was lighting up the wires, and Truman, no, nah, uh, uh, I got my, I, I, I got a budget. I got to worry about my budget. Yeah. And, and um, you know, certain Americans were pissed off as well that he wasn't having this meeting uh, earlier rather than later too. But we know that he was deliberately pushing it off to coincide with the Trinity test. Now, here's the thing that I don't get is about 5,000 American troops died between May and August. Mm. Mm-hmm. A total of 24,000 American casualties in that period. Yeah. Now, this is mostly, as I mentioned in the last episode, the Battle of Okinawa. It ran from the beginning of April through to middle of June. And it was, as we've talked about, it was incredibly bloody war on both sides. Now, again, I have to ask the question, if saving American lives was the objective, why the fuck did they not try and negotiate an honourable peace with the Japanese during the Battle of Okinawa? Shut the whole thing down when they knew yeah. it was possible. See, that's the other part of it. Some people, including Truman, were saying, let's make some kind of announcement once Okinawa is ours. It'd be more powerful that way to be more effective because, you know, we'll be on their doorstep and we can use this to, to launch bomb, bombers proper at proper Japan proper. So let's do that. And so that was, as it turns out, that was a de- delaying tactic because as soon as Okinawa is ours, now, like you said, Truman's saying, no, nah, let's, let's wait to Potsdam because it, I can talk to the other two leaders and it can be a much more powerful message when we say something then together as a group. So again, Delay, 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 and only now, or at least officially, do we know why he was waiting for the test results because the test results at uh, Trin- of Trinity were being pushed back on their own for various reasons. Now, unfortunately, we don't know much about what Truman was thinking during this period. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there aren't many contemporaneous documents from when he when he became president in April through to the dropping of the bomb about what he was thinking. We don't have a diary. We don't have a Truman diary. He wrote his memoirs many years later where he sort of talks about what he was thinking at the time, but we don't really know how much of that is post hoc, um, you know, propaganda and justification. We have diaries of some guys, but you know we don't know what Truman was thinking. We 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 can piece together bits of it from their other from their diaries, but we don't know a lot about what was going through his head. 
we have, you know, Marshall, we have Stimson, we have Gru. They wrote diaries, and we can go back and look at that. And there, some of those them involve their fuck, some of their notes involve their retelling of conversations they were having with Truman at the time. Mm-hmm. Now, he did give a speech in June, where he said his main priority was minimizing the loss of American lives. Right. Um, but again, I go, well, well, why didn't you try and negotiate a peace? In, you know, it was, he'd been president for, what, two months at that juncture, give or take. Mm-hmm. Why haven't you tried to negotiate a surrender uh, before now? When you know that the Japanese are trying to surrender, want to surrender, plenty of indications of that because you're picking it up on their secret cables to the right. Soviets. Um. Now the bombing, you know, people always say the the the, the bombs were dropped to to prevent an invasion, but the invasion wasn't planned until the first of November. Yeah, bombs were dropped in early August, so September, October, November. There was like three months <laughs> to go before the invasion. Three months when they could have orchestrated a surrender. Three months after the Soviets were going to declare war. That there was where there was an opportunity to negotiate a surrender before an invasion was going to be uh, uh, initiated. Now, there's no uh, explanation for that that I'm aware of. Yeah, I, I couldn't come up with anything. Again, and that, that goes back to the very heart of the mystery. You're saying this is still months away, um, even though it's been officially decided, um, but you drop these bombs as soon as you possibly can, where's the disconnect? Now, Admiral Lay said he couldn't agree with the people who were saying that unless we obtain an unconditional surrender of the Japanese, we will have lost the war. Mm. It gets back to something I said at the end of the last episode that maybe one of the reasons people were hesitant to accept it was they were worried about the optics, how how it would look. But here we have Admiral Lay, who was Roosevelt's chief of staff, Truman's chief of staff, um, and a fucking admiral to boot, yeah. who's saying, no, nah, that's bullshit, right? That, that's not a real issue. But people were saying it to him. Who said it to him? We don't know. Right. Because far as we know, a lot of people, everyone we've talked about so far was uh, all of the big names seem to be in favour of modifying the terms of the surrender. And there were lots and there were lots of uh for lack of a better word notes uh whatever uh writings uh destroyed purposefully uh, between 1945 and now. So again there's just so much more we could know but people for whatever reason um knew what they were doing or knew what was said and and had certain things destroyed. Now John McCloy, who mentioned in the last episode, he was the um, uh, uh, Assistant Secretary of War. He claims that at the June 18th meeting, he strongly advocated to Truman that they should spell out the terms of surrender to the Japanese, assuring them that they could keep the emperor. And he, he said that Truman said that that was what he was also thinking. Mm-hmm. Now, this is even though Truman has sort of shut down Gru, right. he's saying to McCloy, yeah, no, I agree with that. We should, we should clarify this and get it over with. He said, why don't you draft something and take it to Jimmy Burns? <laughs> yes, now, he said something like, yeah, I was thinking along the same lines. Tell you what. And, and, and Truman actually had to pull the information out of McCloy that he said, no, no, no one leaves this room until you tell me what your opinion is. And McCloy, after that, was very honest. And he said, we should be examining this. We could save so many lives and so much time. And that's when Truman says, you're right. You should take that. Go talk to Jimmy. Let's see what we can, let's see what we, you know, what we come up with. Why the fuck would he say, take it to Jimmy? He's the president, right? <laughs> Jimmy? No, no, no. Why? What does the number one man say to the number to this guy? Tell you what, that's a good idea. Why don't you take it to the number two guy and see what he says? What the fuck is that? Hey, Jimmy! 
<laughs> Great game. Oh, yeah. Jimmy played pretty good. <laughs> hey, you know, I, I felt like we had a synergy out there, you know, like we were really helping each other. Now, what do you got there? These? Yeah. These are Jimmy's training shoes. <laughs> yeah, 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 I, I've seen these things. What are they? Uh, they make your legs stronger. Oh, yeah. Jimmy couldn't jump at all before he got these. Jimmy was like you. <laughs> Jimmy. <laughs> Ray loves that. Jimmy's getting angry. <laughs> um, now, Jimmy Burns, James Burns, Justice James Burns. Ooh. We've talked about him before, but it's been a while. Yeah. So just... Just to remind people who Jimmy Burns was, he was a big fucking dude. <laughs> um, yes. And and surprisingly, I don't think he's uh, um, he he's remembered uh, as much as he should be. You know, he was with uh, he was like an advisor to Wilson um, after World War One. He was there for the Paris uh, negotiations. Um, he was supposed he was supposed to be Roosevelt's veep pick uh, in in the third election mm-hmm. um the third uh, uh, for his third term at the last minute for some reason they decided Roosevelt and his his advisors decided that Burns was probably a little bit controversial mm-hmm. he was very close to Roosevelt Roosevelt seems to have promised him that he would be his veep. Um, at the last minute, they ditched him for Truman, who they thought was uh, an easy win. Uh, he was he was he was kind of popular. He there wasn't uh, there wasn't going to be any, like the Republican sorry Democrat convention. There wasn't going to be um, as much controversy around him as the the pick in terms of the factions. Right. So they dumped Burns for Truman, surprising both of them. Um, <laughs> I don't I, I don't think they they warned either of them until uh, they announced it from stage. And um, and then of course when they went to Yalta, Burns was uh, sort of on the outside. He was kind of pissy, but then. Truman, uh, sorry, Truman, Roosevelt sent Burns back to the US first. He was like um, uh, the guy who was sent back to America to, to, to announce what they'd come up with at Yalta. He was the spokesman for the Yalta mm. Accords. Mm-hmm. But then when <laughs> Roosevelt died, Burns should have been the president. He was, he was the guy who should have got the top job. Instead, Truman got the chop, top job. <coughs> Excuse me. So, um, Burns at this point, uh, like what the first thing that, that Truman did after he became president was call Burns in and say, "Hey, listen, I need your help. I can't do this without you." Right. And Burns was like, "No kidding, motherfucker." <laughs> um, we've talked about this before, but just as a reminder. Truman really looked up to Burns. Yeah. When they were both in the Senate, mentor. I think Burns had been a bit of a mentor to yeah. him. He looked up to him. He thought they were really good friends. Privately, Burns didn't <laughs> think much of Truman. He thought Truman was uh, uh, dumb. Right. He thought he was a bit of a moron. And yeah, it's quite clear that Burns thought he should be um, president. Now, Truman had told him very early on, when he was president, that he was going to make him the Secretary of State. Yeah, he owes him that. Come on. Yeah. yeah. But we'll get more into Burns uh, later on. Uh, I just wanted to remind people who he is. So Truman says, go take it to Burns. At this point, Burns is just acting as a special advisor to Truman. He's not Secretary of State yet. That's still big Steady. Right. Steady's off doing the whole uh, United Nations thing. Plan is, is to get rid of Steady, who Truman doesn't like. And uh, bring in Burns. Yeah. Sounds fair. But he's saying, oh, yeah, the whole surrender thing with Japan, good idea, take it to Jimmy. Jimmy's Jimmy's not <laughs> liking it. Jimmy's not thinking about it. Anyway, so McCloy takes the proposal to Burns and Burns shoots it down. Yeah. He says he thinks it would be a weakness on America's part to conclude the war without a total surrender. So maybe this gets back to what Admiral Lay was saying ah, earlier. Right. Who is saying it would look bad? Jimmy. 
Jimmy wants unconditional surrender. Right. There was so twice. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Nope. Twice on June eighteenth, Truman told people that he agreed with the idea of offering the Japs a deal, but then Burns said no, and Truman said no. Oh God. Now I probably have my dates mixed up, but I had, um, and I just want to ask because this continues on with the story. I had May 18th instead of uh, June 18th where um, Truman is telling people, yeah, you know what? I'm thinking along the same. I'm thinking along the same thing. But on June 1st, Truman changes the official position of the United States or, or he reinforces the position of the United States in regards to Japan. So I guess I have I guess I have my dates wrong. No, I, I don't think you do. I think um he is saying one thing publicly and saying other things privately. Uh, okay. All right. He'd been having these discussions, like I said in our last episode, that I think Gru met with him late May and said, May 28th, and said, hey, I think we should uh, uh, negotiate a deal for surrender. Truman said, yeah, good idea. Take it to Marshall and Forrestal and these guys, which he did the next day. They said, yeah, we should, but we can't for certain military reasons. Right. But then there was another meeting on June 18th when Gru and these other guys were with Truman again. Truman again says it's a good idea to some, but then shuts down others. And it seems to be because they took it to Burns and Burns said, no, that's not a good idea. Yeah. And and what makes it more complicated, I'm just going to mention this real quick, and I hope I'm not throwing things up, but just, just what makes this all that much more complicated was that Truman gave a speech on June 1st, which supposedly was going to nail down the entire question of what the hell we're going to tell Japan, what the conditions are going to be. So Truman says along the lines to the press, the Japanese military leaders hope that our desire to see our soldiers and sailors home again and the temptation to return to the comforts and profits of peace will force us to settle for some compromise short of unconditional surrender. They should know better. We are resolute in our determination. We will see the fight through to a complete and victorious finish. So for all of the conversations, for everybody that's advising him, suddenly this is now a non-issue because Truman, the president, has laid down the law. And as we said, I think in the last episode, the military cannot deviate. They cannot, they cannot equivocate. They cannot be politicians. Whatever the policy is, is what they have to pursue. And Truman has reinforced it on June 1st, even though behind the scenes he's saying other things. This is the official policy. This is all the military will focus on. And maybe that was part of the problem. Once he had said we're not going to back down from unconditional surrender, he couldn't back down yeah. after that because he'd said he wouldn't. But, I mean, that kind of stuff is is a little bit sort of pussy. Yeah. You know, fuck tr- Truman. Uh, not Truman. Trump changes his mind every <laughs> five minutes because he's a man. Well, no, but but you make a very good point. Only an idiot would get locked down to a statement or not be able to come up with a better idea because of pride. We know that FDR changed his mind on Casablanca because we made certain um, we we got rid of certain conditions for Italy, and um, so we we know that if FDR can go back on his word. Truman can certainly go on back on his word, but yeah, does it? But it, but as far as the military is concerned, and this is the point that I was making, it paints the military into a corner. They cannot deviate. The politicians can talk all they want, but until Truman says something different, the military has to go with unconditional surrender. Yeah, he's the commander in chief, yeah. right? So they need to they need to stick to that officially. Um, now. Like the strategic bombing survey from 1946, the internal War Department report um, after the war concluded that the bomb wasn't needed to end the war. According to the internal War Department's report, the impact of the Soviet declaration of war was one of the deciding factors. Uh, there's an American historian, Ernest May, who wrote that the Soviet declaration of war was a disastrous event which the Japanese leaders regarded as an utter catastrophe and which they had energetically sought to prevent at any cost. Mm. May's conclusion was that even if the bomb 
didn't exist or hadn't been used, it's an almost certainty that the Japanese would have capitulated once the Russians joined the war. And the War Department concluded the same thing. Yeah. Now, the Japanese leaders had decided to surrender, as we said in the last episode. They were just looking for enough of a pretext to convince the diehards that they had lost the war and that they could surrender and uh, without losing face. And also, of course, to, to protect the role of the emperor. But the, the point is that the entry of Russia into the war would almost certainly have given them that pretext that they needed. Hmm. Okay, we, we, we're barely holding on fighting the, the British and the Americans now that the Russians are involved, that's it. There's, there's no fucking way. Um, it, it's, it's just suicide. Right. Um, we can do this without losing face. Yeah. And as we know, Americans, the Americans have been trying to get the Soviets to engage with the Japanese, well, going back to a few days after Pearl Harbor. They had been trying to get them on board. And we know that, uh, and, and th- again, this still surprises me. Um, I still come across Americans who um, are surprised to learn that the Americans had been urging the Soviets to get involved. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've had people say to me in the past, well, we dropped the bomb to stop the Russians from getting involved. Yeah, yeah, but you've been asking them to get involved for years. Right. Um so, and, and people aren't aware of that. I don't think that's something that, that is sort of well understood in the United States, that uh, they wanted the Russians, the Soviets, to get involved in the war. And it had wanted yeah. up until the point they had the bomb. And then you tell the average American that actually America, the American government fluctuated. First, we want Russians in. Then we were doing so well. By the time Germany's out, we don't want them in. And then we think, well, what if the bomb doesn't work? Then we uh, then we want them back in. So we were all over the place, you know, because during all of this, and I should have mentioned this on the last episode, but from January 1945 up until the dropping of the bomb, even though the American government is all over the place, what is it going to do? Is it going to use the bomb? How is it going to use the bomb, where is it going to be used, the bomb, whatever. At the same time that all of this is going on, tension with Russia is increasing right before FDR dies. He slams his fist down on the desk and he says something like, Harriman was right, Stalin can't be trusted or can't we can't work with this guy or whatever. And this gets passed on to Truman. So as all this stuff is going on, as complex as it is, it gets more complex because tensions with Russia are going up, and Truman doesn't help it by bitch slapping Molotov. So again, that's the that's kind of the other part of this is that we're not really sure what's going to happen with these guys and our relations after Japan is defeated. So there's that political tension as well. Now, uh, getting back to June eighteenth, uh, George Marshall said uh, an important point about Russian participation in the war is that the impact of Russian entry on the already hopeless Japanese may well be the decisive action levering them into capitulation at that time or shortly thereafter if we land in Japan. Mm. So that was Marshall's view that when the Soviets declared war, it would probably mean that Japan would surrender. Right. Now, there's plenty of evidence to suggest that the Japs also thought the same way. Um, going back as far as April 29th, a guy called Colonel Tanamura, who was the chief of the planning bureau of the general staff, said, needless to say, moves of Soviets could be fatal in continuing the Great Asian War And this has been the matter of greatest concern in planning of the war since before the beginning of the war. Even though Japan may have to give up Manchuria, South Sakhalin, Korea, Taiwan, Okinawa, which means reverting to the borders before the Sino-Japanese War, Japan has to avoid the Soviet entry into the war no matter what and has to accomplish fighting with the US and the UK. Uh, um, so that was his view that, you know, the, the number one goal of the Japanese was to stop the Soviets getting involved in the war. Yeah. Even if they had to give up all of their gains, 
they still had to do that to stop the Russians getting involved. Yeah, the, the fear of Japanese communism, the, the fear that Jap- Japan had of communism was much, much more intense than what the American than how the Americans felt about it because they had dealt with it firsthand, and the idea that communism spreading to Asia, the idea that the Soviet Union would have more influence and prestige in Asia, and that it might actually come to the main islands, that was just anathema to them. So they were willing to give up all that to keep these guys as far away as they possibly could. That was their fear and hatred of communism. Um, On May 11th, uh, there was a meeting of the Supreme Council for the direction of the war in Japan, and the chief of the Imperial Japanese Army General Staff, a guy called Umetsu, again stressed the the central importance of preventing an attack by the Russians. And there was a formal council decision taken at the time which stated, while Japan is fighting with the US and the UK, once the Soviets enter the war, Japan will face inevitable defeat. Therefore, whatever happens in the war with the US and UK, Japan has to try as much as possible to prevent the Soviet Union from entering the war. Now, Yumetsu was one of the guys who opposed the surrender in August. Mm-hmm. But even he knew as early as May, and the council agreed on this, that, look, once the Soviets declare war, it's over. It's in, Defeat is inevitable. Right. Um, so it seems to be well accepted by the Japanese and, and, and by the Americans, like Marshall said as well. They understood... It was well understood months and months earlier that as soon as the Soviets declare war on the Japanese, the Japanese will know that the fucking it's over. There's there's right. no no hope of going on. Now, um, sticking on Yumetsu, um, he was actually the guy who was personally ordered by Hirohito to sign the instrument of surrender oh. on behalf of the armed forces on September second, and. Um, he was the Army's senior representative during the surrender ceremonies on the USS Missouri. Mm-hmm. So the, the point I wanted to make there is that he was one of the guys who opposed the surrender, but when Hirohito told him to sign the surrender document, he did. Just like that. Gets back to the arguments that um, we were making in the last episode that came from the US Strategic Bombing Survey's report that it didn't matter because, again, you often hear uh, from Americans in particular, well, yeah, even if there was, a, there was people who wanted peace and even if the emperor wanted peace, there were these hardliners in the military that didn't want peace. That's true. But the point is that it didn't fucking matter what they wanted. When Hirohito said, we're signing it, fucking sign it, they signed it because he was the god emperor Hirohito. Right. There, there was no possible way that they could say no to him. Now, there was an attempted coup, which we'll talk about in, in a little bit of detail, but by some junior um, guys, mm-hmm. but it got shut down as well by the senior guys. Um, Hirohito was a god. You couldn't say no to, to God, right. basically. If God said, we're surrendering, you fucking surrendered. And that was his position. Um, now, by the way, Yumetsu um, ended up in prison after the war. Uh, in prison, he converted to Christianity mm. and died of rectal cancer a few years later. So no. thanks a lot, Jesus. <laughs> I don't know where to go with that one. Now... What we're leading to here is um, the suggestion that everyone knew Japan was going to surrender. So why was the bomb dropped? Um, Well, in 1946, Albert Einstein wrote that, in his opinion, the bomb was dropped, and this is a quote, from a desire to end the war in the Pacific by any means before Russia's participation. Mm. If President Roosevelt had still been there, none of that would have been possible. He would have forbidden such an act. Does that sound like he's almost complimenting 
Truman that he did something that kept the Russians out, whereas FDR would not have used the bomb and the Russians would have come in, or that FDR would have figured out another way to keep the Russians out? Um. Yeah. Well, I, no, I didn't take it that way. I, I think Einstein was against the use of the bomb. Right. That the, that was my guess. But the way, the, what, you know, listening to you say it, it's almost like he's saying he did this and it kept the Russians out. But that's probably not what he was focused on. Well, I think he was saying that they did use it to keep the Russians out. But I'm not sure he's saying that that was a good thing. Right. That it was heinous that um, they used the bomb. Okay. Yeah. But that was Einstein's view as early as 1946. So again, this isn't a, um, a revisionist view of events uh, 70 years later. That was, oh, and Einstein was, you know, pretty close to the bomb, as we know. I mean, the, the Americans built the bomb in the first place because Einstein wrote a letter to Roosevelt right. suggesting that they build a bomb. Um, so he was one of the fathers of the bomb. Um, but yeah, his view was that it was dropped to sort of keep Russia out of Japan. Mm. Um, also in 1946, the editor of the Saturday Review of Literature, Norman Cousins, um, he wrote, uh, an article, uh, with the former assistant secretary of state, a guy called Thomas Finletter, who ended up also being the secretary of the air force. Mm. They wrote an article where they suggested that the first error was the atomic bombing of Hiroshima, not the making of the atomic bomb, that we were forced to do out of sheer national preservation for the enemy was working on atomic weapons as well. It was what we did with the atomic bomb after we made it that was a mountainous blunder. Oh, God. Can it be that we were more anxious to prevent Russia from establishing a claim for full participation in the occupation against Japan than we were to think through the implications of unleashing atomic warfare. So in 1946, you had serious people, Einstein, Secretary of the Air Force, um, saying that that was why they dropped the bomb, was to stop Russia from participating in the occupation of Japan. Let me ask you a question as an American that has never, ever, ever occurred to me until just the second. We would rather drop the bomb than let the Russians in and, and Stalin would, you know, he'd wiggle his way in and then he'd be part of the peace process. He'd be part of administrating uh, Japan and obviously he would take territory. I mean, he's already got parts of Germany. He's got a lot of countries in Eastern Europe. I wonder if the American attitude is no, this is not going to happen again in the in the Pacific. Um, I mean, what, what's the, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? He takes part of Japan, he takes Kurao Islands, he takes uh, other territory, Korea, whatever. I mean, is it truly that bad that you feel like you have to drop the bomb? And that might not even have been a factor at all. But I, I was just thinking, you know, this has never occurred to me. I mean, he already had Eastern Europe and Germany. Is it such a big deal that he grabs a little bit more territory? In Asia, that way we don't have to drop the bomb and, and have this stain on our record. Yeah, look, uh, these are these are good questions and uh, questions that I think aren't asked enough. Um, and the other thing that comes up when I think about that is, was it self-evident at the time that America would be administering Japan after the war? Shouldn't that be the role of the United Nations Security Council or the United Nations to decide that, determine that? The United Nations was being set up yeah. at the time. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know why it wasn't seen as something the United Nations would be responsible for moving forward or the Security Council. Um, it's not a an either or America and or America and the Soviets. Um, but anyway, yeah, look, it, there seems to have been, at least according to a couple of sources as early as 1946, this view that that was why they dropped the bomb mm -hmm. um, to, to, to mean they could claim that they 
uh, ended the war themselves without needing the Soviets. So they couldn't take uh, a a joint responsibility and and joint rewards for it. Even though they had agreed, they had begged Stalin to... (laughs) Declare war. Yeah, they begged him to invade Manchuria. They had already agreed to his rewards, Sakhalin and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, that we've talked about because he wanted warm water ports, all that kind of stuff. They'd already agreed to that, and then they're reneging on it. Now, as you mentioned before, there was these tense standoffs with Moscow. Uh, in April over Poland and Truman bitch-slapping Molotov. On April 24th, after the Molotov showdown, Stimson had sent a letter to Truman. Truman's been president for, what, uh, two weeks, (laughs) give or take. Um, God. Stimson sends Truman the following letter. Dear Mr. President, I think it is very important that I talk with you as soon as possible on a highly secret matter. I mentioned it to you shortly after you took office, but have not urged it since on account of the pressure you have been under. Mm. It, however, has such a bearing on our present foreign relations and has such an important effect upon all my thinking in this field that I think you ought to know about it with much further delay. The next day, Truman met with Stimson and Leslie Groves, and got a detailed brief, his first detailed brief about the Manhattan Project. Oh, God. Now, he'd been made aware of it, as Stimson said, shortly after he became president. By the way, we're building a big fucking bomb. Well, we'll tell you about it later. <laughs> so this is the latest, Just, two weeks later. It's big. Now, I think it's important to, to think about the timing here. So it happened the day after the showdown with Molotov. Mm-hmm. Stimson was in the Molotov meeting, um, I think, or at least was aware of it going on. I think he was there. Um, either way, his wording about it has a bearing on our present foreign relations and has an important effect upon all my thinking seems to suggest, he may have been referring only to the Pacific War, but it seems to suggest that he's, he's saying to Truman, look, I think this is something that we can use in our negotiations with the Soviets. Right. In fact, this is backed up because Grove's notes from that meeting say a great deal of emphasis was placed on foreign relations and particularly on the Russian situation. That that reminds me of something we were talking earlier where these guys couldn't come up with... uh... Should they change the policy or should they give Japan something other than unconditional surrender? At one point, they were worried that Japan might propose something that would be short of unconditional surrender. And if if Japan offers up and they put it out there for everybody to hear, what are the Americans going to do then? Because the American people are obviously tired of war. The world is tired of war. And if Japan offers something and America, the government doesn't want it, and so they don't take it, that would obviously look bad. So, so there's a lot of pressure on Truman, this brand, brand new president, and his advisors, and everybody's going every which way. But again, there's, there's just a lot of factors that they have to take in, and they have to keep the, I, I, they have to keep control of the situation no matter what comes. Now, Truman and Burns both said later that Burns had brought Truman up to speed about the bomb during the first days of his presidency. Oh, um, Burns obviously was across it. He, he knew what was going on. Um, and apparently one of the things he'd said to Truman is that the bomb might well put us in a position to dictate our own terms at the end of the war. Wow. Now, does that mean their own terms with Japan or their own terms with the Soviets or both? Oh, Everybody. Uh, Everybody, probably. That would be my way of interpreting it. But, you know, Grove says that when they had their meeting, it was they were talking particularly about the Russian situation. So, again, th- there seems to be plenty of evidence that when they used the bomb, they were thinking about Russia in one way or another. Now, as we know, Truman kept pushing back the date of the Potsdam meeting to coincide with the Trinity test. And there's a very interesting paragraph in Stimson's diary from May 14th. Mm -hmm. He'd had lunch with 
Anthony Eden, the British Foreign Minister, and then afterwards he met with Marshall and McCloy. And in his diary, he wrote, I told them that my own opinion was that the time now and the method now to deal with Russia was to keep our mouths shut and let our actions speak for words. The Russians will understand them better than anything else. It is a case where we've got to regain the lead and perhaps do it in a pretty rough and realistic way. They have rather taken it away from us because we have talked too much and have been too lavish with our beneficences to them. I told him this was a place where we really held all the cards. I called it a royal straight flush, and we mustn't be a fool about the way we play it. They can't get along without our help and industries, and we have coming into action a weapon which will be unique. Now the thing is not to get into unnecessary quarrels by talking too much and not to indicate any weakness by talking too much. Let our actions speak for themselves. Damn. And that was um, Stimson? That was Stimson in his diary recounting what he said to Marshall and McCloy and Anthony Eden. That's hardcore. um, On May 14th. So... Look, I don't know about you, but it sounds to me like Stimson is saying, let's show the Russians what we've got <laughs> by bombing Japan. Exactly. Not a demonstration. And not, let's invite some scientists over to Alamogordo. Let's show them what we can do. In a pretty rough and realistic way yeah. was uh, his, his words. So, Damn. yeah, look, I... On May 28th, um, Leo Zillard, the brainchild behind the bomb, the guy who first came up with the idea of building a bomb. Right. And took it to Einstein, who took it to Roosevelt, along with uh, two other scientists, uh, Walter Bartke and Harold Urey, met with Jimmy Burns. They went to his house in Spartanburg, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um to discuss the bomb. Um, they were worried at the time that it, that using it would lead to a, a nuclear arms race between America and Russia. Um, fucking, you know, they hope they claimed that bet later on. Because right. um, shit, were they right with that? Now, Zillard later reported that at the meeting, this is his quote, Mr. Burns did not argue that it was necessary to use the bomb against the cities of Japan in order to win the war. He was concerned about Russia's post-war behaviour. Russian troops had moved into Hungary and Romania. Burns thought it would be very difficult to persuade Russia to withdraw and that Russia might be more manageable if impressed by American military might. I shared Burns's concerns, but I was completely flabbergasted by the assumption that rattling the bomb might make Russia more manageable. So he's already focused on Russia. Yes. It's quite, if, if Zillard's account is, is accurate um, and grew... Remember, grew went to Burns. Burns said um, no to surrender. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, and here we have Zillard saying that Burns, is, as early as May, late May, is saying, yeah, look, it, 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 we, we need to use the bomb not to end the war, but to make Russia more manageable. I just have to ask, and this may, may be premature, and if it is, I can certainly edit it out, but who in the fuck is in charge? Is it Truman? Is it Burns? Does Truman know what Burns is doing? Is Truman okay with it? Is Truman saying, look, you're now Secretary of State, and I'm going to give you way the fuck more freedom than FDR ever gave Hall. I trust you. In fact, you're more qualified than I am because you've been a congressman, a senator, a Supreme Court justice. You've done all this shit, and I'm just a senator from Missouri or wherever. I trust you to run this stuff. I mean, who in the hell is in charge, and who in the hell is making decisions? Well, yeah, look, let's keep going on that. But it it seems at this stage to me that Burns was the guy making the decision about the bomb. 
Yes, yeah, so it sounds like um, Truman's checking in with them by sending people to yes. him. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Jeez. And remember, uh, when, we, when we did the sort of intro bio to Truman, Truman became a politician um, because he got the support of basically a mob boss. <laughs> From Missouri, remember? Tammany Hall or <laughs> political. political machine. Well, yeah, but not, not uh, Tammany Hall. No, Tammany no, Hall, no sorry. Like yeah, that. It was, it was, it, yeah, like that. The political machine guy was basically a mob boss. <laughs> um, so he's used to checking in with the boss. Um, I think he's replaced, he's replaced that guy with uh, Burns. Burns is the boss that he's going to and saying, you know, what do you think we should do here? Oh, that was the other part of it. When when Truman becomes president, Burns was actually better known and, more, and throughout the country in general. And and even though he was feared by some people, he was certainly respected in general. He had held all these amazing positions. He had all this experience. And like you said earlier, everybody was expecting him to be tapped to be the number two. But but Burns is definitely a, a much brighter figure than Truman was. And with Burns' attitude towards Truman, I'm not surprised that he probably went in there and probably took control from Truman. And it doesn't sound like Truman's resisting very much. No, I think Truman recognized, and give him credit for this, I guess, he recognized he needed help, um, particularly when it comes to foreign relations, not something he had a lot to do with. So he was uh, looking to to Burns as as guidance, as advice. Look, I don't know everything. Um, I need somebody who's more experienced than me to help me through this, and Burns was his guy. The question now is, why did Burns feel the way that he felt? And we'll get to that. But we have a sense at this stage already of what Stimson and Burns thought. They both thought they needed to use the bomb to make Russia more manageable, in Stimson's words. But what about Truman? Well, as I've mentioned a couple of times, it's a strange thing. We know nearly nothing about Truman's thoughts about using the bomb from when he became president through to the dropping of the bomb in August. Mm -hmm. And it's not like he wasn't talking about it with his inner circle. We know he must have been. We know Burns had talked to him about the bomb early on. We know these guys were talking to him about it, uh, Grew and and Stimson, etc. Groves. uh, But none of them seem to have recorded his thoughts Mm -hmm. at the time. We have his own post hoc explanations from his memoirs, but nothing from the actual time. So the man responsible, ultimately, for the only use of nuclear weapons against human targets, and we have no record of what he was thinking at the time. Um, There might have been records, but there aren't now. Yeah, well, I, I don't know that we have any evidence of records that once existed that have been disappeared mm. or destroyed either. Maybe that is the case. I don't know. Um, you know, you would think as a president, particularly in the middle of a war, you would yeah. be keeping notes, uh, daily memoirs, uh, or with yeah. the secretary, You'd be keeping stuff about what you're thinking and why you're doing what you're doing for future um, whatever. Um, future historians to understand, right. um, but apparently, no, doesn't exist. Jeez. Now, we do have the record of the interim committee. Now, we've talked about this before in our um, previous episodes about the Manhattan Project. It was uh, set up to determine how the bomb was going to be used. Um, it was called the interim committee because it was anticipated that after the war, a more permanent committee to manage America's nuclear weapons would be set up. Stimson was the chairman, Secretary of War. Mm. The other members were Jimmy Burns, um, Ralph Bard, the Undersecretary of the Navy, William Clayton, the the Assistant Secretary of State, Vannevar Bush, the Director of the Office of Scientific Research and Development, Carl Compton, Chief of the Office of Field Service in the Office of Scientific Research and Development and the President of MIT, James Conant, the chairman of the National Defense Research Committee and president of Harvard, and George Harrison, assistant to Stimson, president of the New York Life Insurance Company. Now, most historians will say that Burns, even though his official title was just like special advisor to the president right. at the time, was the most influential, influential member on the interim committee. Mm-hmm. And in fact, most historians 
now no longer cr- give the interim committee any credit <laughs> with having any significant influence on the decision to use the bomb. As far as we know, the question, as you've said a couple of times, the question of whether or not the bomb should or should not be used was never even really discussed by the interim committee. There might have been a brief discussion over lunch one day. There's some suggestion of that, no real notes. Right. Um, it was It was just kind of assumed that they were going to use it. Would it be fair to say that even if there was a legitimate question, if Burns is on this committee and he's the personal representative of the president and we seem to have a, a firm grasp of his views, it seems like they would have officially come out and said, yeah, we need to use the bomb. But, but either way, like you said, it doesn't seem to have really been something that was up for debate. Yeah, it seems to be that um, the interim committee existed to kind of rubber stamp what Burns had already decided was going to happen. Wow. Um, now, the committee decided to use the bomb against Japan uh, on a vital war plant employing a large number of workers, closely surrounded by workers' houses, without any warning. Mm. Despite Marshall's position that it should be used first on a purely military objective, and if it was going to use beyond that, they should give everyone a warning. Right. Interim committee decided against that. The only dissent uh, in the interim committee uh, was from Bard, the Undersecretary of the Navy. He said... He had the impression that if in, in, that instead of having a meaningful debate about how and where to use the bomb, the committee just ratified a decision that had already been made. And the other thing was, and I think you might have mentioned this on an earlier episode, this committee was made up of civilians. So the military was making a clear look. We're not taking over. We're not taking control. This is not a military decision. And and like you said a second ago, I think the military or the president or Burns or whoever, they are covering their ass by having this panel of experts make this, you know, make this decision. Classic decision by committee. <laughs> hey, don't blame me. It wasn't. Me, President Truman, that made the decision. It was this committee of civilians, yeah. expert experts in their field. Yeah. Um. Uh, so Bard, though, who was on the committee, and he was military. He was under Secretary of the Navy. I mean, mm. is that does that military when you're a Secretary of the Navy? Would you classify that as military? If he's under Secretary, he's probably. There's a good chance. I don't know if he was in the military, but there's a chance he's not in the military. When you're a secretary, that's normally a political appointment. Right. So you're technically not military, even though you're running, running the, the military. Navy. Exactly. Yeah. He was his background. He was a Chicago banker. See, qualified um, to run the navy before. <laughs> I run the air uh, air balloon corps. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> Well, well. To be fair, um, he was a Boy Scout. Uh, he was active in the Boy Scouts uh, ah. before that. So I was a Boy Scout for I an mean, afternoon. Really? Real story. Okay. Yeah. Until somebody touched <laughs> touched you on the pee pee, and that was it. I or ran, didn't I ran touch you on the pee pee, and you were, you were insulted. No one touched. I threw down my yeah. badge and I ran out. You're like, Come on! I thought I was going to get touched up here. Um. So uh, so Bard said he didn't think they were actually discussing it. They were just ratifying a decision. Leslie Groves later commented, the story as to the interim committee having any influence on the decision to use the atomic bomb is just plain bunk. Wow. Put it out there, Groves. Why don't you? <laughs> yeah. So that's Groves' view. Now, um, one question I have about the interim committee is whether or not they were made aware that the Japanese had been trying to surrender when they made the decision to use the bomb or when they ratified the decision to use the bomb on Japan. Because that's pretty relevant, you would think. Right. Now, because we know that the scientists out there and uh, doing Trinity don't fucking know pretty much anything that's going on because they're so obsessed. But, yeah, you think think the, the people on this committee that are stationed in Washington should have access to that information, I'm guessing. But who knows? 
We don't know, I think. Um, We know that Truman knew, of course, on July 18th, there's a handwritten entry in Truman's journal. Mm. So he did have a journal. Um, He just didn't talk about his decision to use the bomb in it. But we, we have his journal that in which he refers to the intercept of a cable from the Japanese um, after a conversation he had with Churchill uh, where he mentions the telegram from Jap Emperor asking for peace. Wow. So Truman knew about it, but the public and historians didn't get to see his journal until it was declassified in 1979. But we know that he knew at least in July, that the Japanese, that the Japanese emperor, not just the Japanese, but the emperor was asking for peace. But they didn't follow it up. Now, um, I mentioned earlier that people don't seem to remember Burns. He doesn't get talked about enough when this period is discussed. And I think one of the reasons for that is he had a major falling out with Truman um, in 1947. He gets made Secretary of State, I think, late 45, Mm -hmm. and he's replaced as Secretary of State by George Marshall in January 1947. And he and Truman parted ways, and uh, that was pretty much it. He was only Secretary of State for 19 months, less than 19 months. Wow. Then he disappears. Pretty much. So they had a major falling out, which possibly has a lot to do with Burns's attitude towards Truman, thinking he was a bit of an idiot. Right. Um, uh, and Truman, even before this, referred to him as his conniving Secretary of State. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> if you're Machiavellian, that's a compliment, but not in Washington. Not then. In the next episode, I want to get more into Burns and, and the, the personality of Burns because, as we've indicated, it seems to come down to Burns, Yeah, a, a, a lot of this decision. Anyway, let's uh, put a line under that episode for today. I do want to read a couple of reviews because I haven't done that for a while. Cool. Um, I, won't, I won't read the one that says we missed the mark because uh, I said that Stalin and, Eve, and, and Hitler weren't evil. <laughs> They lost me completely when they said Hitler and Stalin were not evil. If Hitler is not evil, then that word has no meaning. Yes, the word has no meaning. (laughs) Yeah, it's dumb. Uh, HVW1970 has no meaning. Look it up. Is there like a little Um, devil on my shoulder? Anyway, continue. These are people making decisions. (laughs) He talks about we have a vile hatred of the US and Great Britain. Uh, What a moron. Anyway... Um, let me read some reviews. Let me go back because uh, it's been a while. Um, do, 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 do. Although, of course, there's Hugh Meller who gave us one star, called us disgraceful. We've invited Hugh onto the show several times and he uh, apparently doesn't want to come on and discuss too, it with us. He's busy. Yeah. Um, uh, here's one from nlord 44 from the United States. About a year ago, while I was working, I decided to give in to the history nerd in me and try listening to Ray's World War II podcast, as I've always had a passion for the subject. And though that podcast is fantastic, Thank I found you. myself caught up and looking for a new source of entertainment as I drone through the workday. That was when I came across the Caesar podcast, which involved the hilarity that is Ray and Cam, the podcast kings. Now those two podcasts are wonderful on their own, but come now and I've heard the history of Yalta and we finally reached the Cold War. Though I may have the bias of a socialist 20-year-old, but I can say these two do their utmost to create an unbiased account of the events that shape the society we live in today. There is no expressing the justice done by these two wonderful men and would recommend this podcast to everyone that would like to get a realistic account of the Cold War. Or if you stick too hard to your guns, listen to the many other podcasts by these legends. They are all incredibly well done. Thanks, boys. Oh, thank you. Well, thank you, NLord44. Send us an email, um, and we'll send you a thank you gift. Um, 
Do, 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 do. Uh, here's one from uh, Braveheart 6868, also <coughs> from the United States. Um, not movie. for the faint of heart. If you're looking for a Cold War for dummies-esque type of podcast, turn away now. This podcast explores antecedent events and causality during the Cold War that has shaped the modern era. As the hosts have recently joked, they are over 80 episodes in and have not made it out of 1945. (laughs) They are on pace to put out roughly 3,520 episodes by the time the Berlin Wall comes down. This is either terrifying or vastly humorous, maybe both, I really don't know. What I do know is that I will be there every step of the way supporting the show because Rain Cam approved time and again that they value their listeners and create interesting and versatile content. Fear not. Thank you. Thank you, Braveheart6868. Send us an email and you get a thank you item from us. Well, fuck, I don't know. Like, I, 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 I do feel bad about it in a way. Like, I, I look at the episode numbers and I think to myself, what are we doing? <laughs> Why does it take us so long to tell these stories? Uh, and believe well, it or not, yeah. I am trying to rush through it as quickly as I can. Yeah. We skip a lot of stuff. I go, well, that's not really relevant. But I, I don't know, man. I guess I'm just going on my own journey. I, I, I try exactly. and do the shows exactly. in a way that helps me feel like I understand why things happened. It, unless, um, unless you give it context, mm. you might as well be watching the History Channel. <laughs> it, you know, if you don't get the I, backstory. I, I mean, it, 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 honestly, uh, uh, you know, my approach to doing the notes for these shows is I'm just like, well, uh, why did that happen? I mean, I, I, I'm answering my own questions. Why did they do this? Why did they do that? How did this happen? Because I, I feel like I need to know, and um, I'm, I'm grateful that some people want to come along on the journey with us. Mm. I know it's insane, and it's, I, you know, we go into too much detail, maybe for most people, but anyway, maybe we should do an abbreviated version. We'll do the dummies version of this. <laughs> we'll just say Stalin and Hitler and Hirohito <laughs> were evil. Boom. I thought that's what the Hunter Clause was. We'll put the Hunter Clause out on a separate <laughs> feed. 33 yeah. seconds. Yeah, or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do that. The 60-second version of each of our episodes. Anyway, uh, we'll be back next week with more about Jimmy Burns, I think. Jimmy. Jimmy's getting angry. An iron curtain has descended across the continent. <laughs>